We'll hear argument first this morning in Case 08-1371, Christian Legal Society Chapter of the University of California Hastings versus Martinez. Mr. McConnell. Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. If Hastings is correct, a student who does not even believe in the Bible is entitled to demand to lead a Christian Bible study. And if CLS does not promise to allow this, the college will bar them from its forum for speech. The First Amendment, under the First Amendment, rights run the opposite way. Hastings is the government. CLS is private. A public forum for speech must be open and inclusive, but participants in the forum are entitled to their own voice. Now, these are fundamental arguments, and I don't want to spend too much time on factual matters because that's frustrating to both the Court and the, and the Council. But we do have the problem of the stipulation. Uh, the stipulation makes it clear that uh, Democrats uh, and Republicans uh, can both get into the other one's club. That's the stipulation 17 and 18 at 220 of, of the Joint Appendix. Um, you want to get away from the stipulation by what according to your reply brief, Hastings said in its answer, but the, the stipulation uh, supersedes the answer. Uh, so if both counsel could just address for a moment, what is the case that we have here? You have different views on what case is before us. Uh, happy to, Justice Kennedy. Uh, if, I, if you just look with me at Joint Stipulation 17, I think it makes this uh, completely clear. That's on page 221 of the Joint Appendix. And it states... Uh, both parties agreed that in order to become a registered student organization, a student organization's bylaws must provide that its membership is open to all students, that's the all-comers policy, and the organization must agree to abide by the, abide by the non-discrimination policy. That's capital N, capital P, a defined term. The non-discrimination policy is defined in Joint Stipulation Number 15. That is what we have been calling the written policy. And the uh, idea that membership must be open to all students is described in Joint Stipulation 18, which is simply a description of what that policy is. But doesn't, doesn't the one — isn't the, the uh, all-comers policy uh, broader than the uh, non-discrimination policy, so that if you comply with that — you automatically comply with everything in the non-discrimination policy. Uh, it, it is broader. It's our position that either of these justifications for excluding CLS is un unconstitutional. Yeah, but the, but, but the latter, the non-discrimination policy, you assert, is, is uh, uh, not viewpoint neutral, that, that, that it, uh, it, it has a particular impact upon a religious organization. Whereas the, uh, the other policy, the all-comers policy, applies to everybody, and that argument is not available to you. I'm, uh, Justice Scalia, uh, our argument, there are two policies. They've invoked both. We believe both are unconstitutional, but for slightly different reasons. The written policy is unconstitutional because it's overtly viewpoint discrimination, discriminatory and thus violating the principles of cases like Rosenberger and Whitmore. But Mr. The Mr. McConnell, Justice Scalia had just made the point that the, um, the all-commerce policy overwhelms the other so that um, — I would like you to deal up front with the all-comers policy that the dean in her deposition said loud and clear, our policy is all-comers. Yes, Republicans have to be admitted to the Democratic group and vice versa. So unless you're challenging the veracity of the dean after stipulating, as you did, that all-comers is the policy, I don't see how we can listen to your argument about the so-called written policy. Well, both policies we contend are unconstitutional. Let's begin with the all-comers policy, and when you are, conclude that it is unconstitutional, we will also need to deal with the other, since they have two arrows in their quiver. Well, well, you can, you can <clears throat> do that, but you, you, it's a much different case uh, if, if, if Hastings treats uh, the CLS differently than it treats the Democratic and Republican clubs. That's a much, frankly, it's a much easier case for you. Uh, but uh, it, 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 it's frustrating for us not to know what kind of case we have in front of us. Your Honor, it's a case where the 
where Hastings has put forward two quite different justifications for di- denying our right, and both of them are unconstitutional. Let's begin well, with the all well, when, when I read the papers that Hastings submitted to the District Court at the same time that the joint stipulation was submitted, I saw one reference after another to the, an allegation that Hastings was applying its policy in a discriminatory manner, that it was not, in fact, insisting that all registered student organizations admit all applicants. And when I read their brief in the Ninth Circuit, I saw that point reiterated again and again. So that led me to believe that what was stipulated was not that, in fact, they had a policy which they enforced under which anybody who applied to any group would be admitted, but that this was what Dean Cain had announced. That was the stated policy, but not necessarily the actual policy that was employed. And that, that was the argument, it seemed to me, that CLS was making. Isn't that correct? Well, that's entirely correct, uh, Justice, uh, Justice Alito. Should, if that was it, you should have brought in some, uh, some evidence of, uh, of uh, a different treatment of other groups. And there, 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 as I, there is none of that except your citation of the bylaws of two groups in your brief. As well, I that is, in fact, the evidence. But, when, Mr. McConnell, here is a statement, a stipulation. It's a stipulation for summary judgment. It says, District Judge, you take this to be the fact. Hastings requires that registered student organizations allow any student to participate, become a member, seek leader posi- leadership positions, in the organizations that is not qualified. It says, District Judge, here are the facts that we stipulate. It doesn't say this is what the Dean says, but it's not really enforced. It's not qualified at all. Uh, Justice Ginsburg, we, we stipulated that this is their policy. We stip- that stipulation contains nothing about the historical facts as to how Hastings has actually applied it. But let's talk about the policy, because it is unconstitutional. I wish you would. You're going to waste your whole time uh, just discussing the stipulation point. Let's assume, let's assume that yes. the latter is the policy. Yes, because the policy is, I think, blatantly unconstitutional. It is manifestly overbroad with respect to any uh, purposes uh, stated. And, of course, in Healy versus James, this Court held that any restriction on a student speech forum may be no more extensive than is required by its uh, purposes. Uh, it is also a frontal assault on freedom of association. Freedom of association is the right to form around shared beliefs. To say that groups may not form around shared so beliefs. Is, is this an exception that you want to talk about as it applied to religious groups? Or are you suggesting that if a group wanted to exclude all black people, all women, um, all handicapped persons, whatever other form of discrimination a group wants to practice, that a school has to accept that group and recognize it, give it funds, and otherwise lend it space? Not at all, Justice Sotomayor. So then what is is wrong with the purpose of a school to say, we don't wish any group that doesn't discriminate, that discriminates. The stipulation is that they may not exclude based on status or beliefs. We have only challenged the beliefs, not status, race, any other status uh, uh, basis Hastings is able to enforce. But they may not tell a group that you have to let people in who don't agree with you. What if the belief is that uh, African Americans are inferior? Again, I think they can discriminate on the basis of the belief, but not on the basis of the status. So that if the if there were have a student organization, I suppose of that type, it wouldn't include many people. But if there were such an organization, I assume that they they would have that uh, that belief required, right? Uh, that's right. But they could not go the next step and exclude someone on the basis of status. Does this say the opposite? It, it says we are. Uh, Hey, you have to be, let anybody in, anybody, regardless of their status or belief. So you can't discriminate on the basis of status or belief. That's what the policy says I just read. It doesn't say you can't. It says you can't. It's that the group may not confine its, its leadership based upon its beliefs. That means that's that what you say, but that, that's not what the policy says. The policy says that you have to let everybody in 
regardless of their status or belief. Right. And, and you and cannot discriminate on the basis of the status, status or belief. The status half of that is perfectly constitutional, and the and belief say half of that is you not. Can't, you have to, you have to let these organizations discriminate on the basis of belief. And they say, no, we don't want to. That's too complicated for us to figure out which ones we should, which ones we shouldn't. We'd rather let them work off campus. We just don't want to get into this business. It's not just against religion. It might be against a Turkish-speaking society that thinks Turkish is extremely important to speak, or a chess club that thinks the same. It would be a bunch of a lot of people. Now, what, why do you — what's wrong with us, a, a, a First Amendment — an organization itself affected with First Amendment interests, saying we just don't want to have those on-campus organizations too much trouble. What is, what is wrong with that is that restrictions on a designated public forum must be reasonable in light of the purposes of the forum. The purpose of the forum is set forth in Joint Stipulation Number 8. It is to promote a diversity of viewpoints among registered student organizations. If the student organizations are not allowed to have a coherent set of beliefs, there can be no diversity. But this sounds like a debate over whether the policy, as the school believes it should be implemented, is not a good one. But isn't that their choice? Don't we give deference to an educational institution in terms of the choices it makes about affecting its own — its purposes? And the purpose here is we don't want our students to discriminate. Uh, there's a stipulation as to what the purpose is, and the purpose is to promote a diversity of viewpoints among registered students. And is their, their way of doing is Hastings takes the position that it's all in favor of diversity, not only among the groups, but within the groups. So, Which is not the joint stipulation. The stipulation is that the purpose of the forum is diversity among groups. Their policy is not — it's not only just unreasonable in light of it, it is contrary to it. It, it is, beats it is the purpose of the they forum. Say, they say, yes, we believe in diversity among groups, but we also believe in diversity within the group. That's a good thing. They are not backing off from — we think diversity among groups. They say fine. that in their brief, but that is not the stipulation. Let, let me make an imaginary case. example. And that's where, where is the stipulation? It's page 216 in the Joint Appendix, Joint Stipulation Number 8. It's the only stipulation in the case having to do with what the purpose is of the RSO Forum. Wait a minute now. A diversity? Hastings seeks to promote a diversity of viewpoints among uh-huh. registered student organizations. And note how destructive an all-comers policy directed on belief is toward, toward that. That means that if, for example, there's an NAACP chapter, it would have to allow a, a racist skinhead to sit on an, in on its planning meetings. That means that if there's an environmentalist club that has a demonstration in Sacramento in favor of cap-and-trade legislation, they would have to that allow be, a global it warming be, skeptic. It may be uh, — ill-advised policy, but the school says it's our policy, it's working fine, and all the the um, hypotheticals about sabotage takeover, they haven't happened. Uh, they haven't happened because this policy came into being, it was announced for the first time in 2005, so there couldn't possibly be any, any record of this, that. This was not the policy on the basis of which uh, CLS was excluded. Is that correct? That's correct. It was not. It, when, when they were refused participation in the, in the student organization program, they were not told about the all-comers policy. That's correct. Joint stipulation number 40 states clearly that the, uh, uh, that the, uh, that they were informed, and I quote, they were informed that CLS bylaws were not compliant with the religion and sexual orientation provisions the non-discrimination policy. And was there any written document uh, memorializing this policy prior to the time when the former dean gave her deposition? Never. And is, so the pol- is the policy as articulated by the dean in her deposition the same as the policy that uh, Hastings now claims it has in its brief? 
I don't think so. The, every time the policy is mentioned, it seems to morph into something else. When the dean announced it at the deposition, she said all students may participate on the base, uh, in all activities, period, full stop. Now we find out in their brief, well, their groups can have conduct limitations. They can require dues. They can have uh, attendance requirements. They can have competitive uh, 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 contests to see whether they get in. Uh, this, this policy is it, — it, it changes with every wind. And the, but the fundamental problem with this, with this is, is what's, what this Court stated in Velazquez versus uh, a legal services. Uh, corporation, that you cannot allow — you cannot allow the, the terms of the policy uh, just to say that whatever their policy is, that that determines the contours of the program, because that would render the First Amendment uh, uh, a nullity. Of that, that, that was not, not a religion case. Uh, your argument at its most fundamental level is that religious organizations are different because religion is all about belief. But uh, at that point, uh, don't we also have a tradition of separation? That's the whole reason uh, why church and state, for many purposes, are kept separate, uh, so that states are not implicated with religious beliefs. And it, it, it seems to me we have to consider that when we're considering your argument. Now, you can cite uh, the, uh, Rosenberger, um, but but I think this is different than that. Uh, the, the separation is between church and state, but this court has held over and over again that speech forums, the people participating in a speech forum, are not the state. The state is Hastings. We are perfectly private. There is nothing wrong with a religious organization. You're not even on public. Anyway, as I understand your argument on the all-comers policy. It is not an argument that, that is based upon the religious nature of CLS. You would make the same argument of unconstitutionality with respect to this student Republican club, wouldn't you? We would. Or yeah. now we do. There is an addition of free exercise argument, but I don't. But in this case, what the free exercise clause protects is exactly what the uh, associational freedom well, well, uh, I, I, test would protect for everyone. I had thought that an important part of the case, uh, of your case, is that uh, belief is inherent to the idea of religious expression and must be protected. But if the protection uh, causes problems within the school for other policies, then doesn't the separation policy come into play? That's, that's what I'm asking. Again, separation does not apply to private parties when they are operating, even on government property. Mr. McConnell, let's say it is the belief of this group, based on their reading of the Bible, that only white men can lead the Bible studies, can become officers of the group. And that's based on their fundamental belief in that that's what the Bible instructs. On your view, must Hastings give this organization status as a recognized student organization? Uh, no, Justice Ginsburg. Our position is unconstitutional to, pro to prohibit groups uh, to form around beliefs, but not around status. But the belief is, this is a, the belief. They is. can insist that everyone, everyone who participates in the group have that belief, and that, as Justice Scalia said, may mean it's going to be a very small group, uh, but they cannot discriminate on the basis of status. But belief, as this Court said in Cantwell versus Connecticut, belief, so if they, belief they would is have absolute. To, they, they would have to negate their belief in their practice. They could believe this, well, but they couldn't implement it. Well, it's it. not unusual to say people people can believe in all kinds of things that are illegal. That doesn't mean that they can do them. It's not a it's not an unfamiliar distinction uh, uh, in our law. But let, let's there, look there, at there, this. Was the basis your your distinction between uh, status and uh, belief was the basis for your saying that the Original policy, whatever whatever we call it, what is the name of it? The written policy. The written policy, uh, when it uh, 
forbids uh, discrimination on the basis of uh, sexual orientation was complied with by CLS because it would not discriminate on the basis of orientation, only on the basis of belief. That's correct. If if a a homosexual person said, I want to belong to this club, and I believe in its principles, I don't believe in sexual relationships before marriage, uh, and that's why I want to work for homosexual marriage, which I do, so on my consistency there. Is that person per- — I'm consistent in what I work for, what I believe, and uh, on as uh, far as premarital sex is concerned, it's totally 100 percent with your organization that you're representing. Would they admit that person or not? Yes. There's a joint stipulation to that effect, it number 34. CLS doesn't have any, uh, any belief that, uh, that marriage is between a man and a woman? Um, it, it, it does. I thought that Justice Breyer posited the case of a person of homosexual orientation who shares that belief. No, 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 no. I, he shares the belief that there should be no premarital sex. But he wants and to marry. he him. says, that's why I'm working for Proposition 8 or whatever the proposition oh, oh, are I'm against sorry, it. I'm sorry, I'm working Breyer, to legalize I'm, homosexual I'm, marriage. I'm sorry. I'm a, I misunderstood your question. This is a religious group. Their understanding of marriage is based upon right, So they would their, not let the answer is no, that person. Not if that not. person was engaging in sexual conduct that is contrary No, he's to not. The, because well, that his case, sexual conduct, he or, will I'm refrain sorry, until marriage is made lawful, right. in if, which point he intends to engage in sexual conduct. That's right. If the that pers- person, regardless of what he intends to do, if he does not agree with uh, the, the the organization on the point of of marriage, then he can be let, he can be uh, excluded from leadership in the group. Again, he's able to attend all the activities. CLS has all of its activities entirely open and. Uh, uh, to everyone, and, and what it what it objects to is have is being run by non-Christians, because after all, this is a group whose very purpose you keep talking is about being forced to let people in. Um, and and this is where I'm a little bit confused by your yellow brief. Um, the school has taken the position that any group can apply to use its facilities. Priority and funding, et cetera, will only go to recognized student groups. But your group is not being excluded or ostracized completely from the school. Presumably you can meet in the cafeteria. You can meet in open spaces in the school. You can apply like everyone else, any other non-student group, recognized student group. But you have been saying repeatedly in your presentation that you're barred from the campus. And so I'm a little confused as to exactly. What I, Justice Sotomayor, I believe what we consistently say is that we have denied, denied the right to meet on campus. And that is completely true. Look at, if you would look at joint stipulation number 10, uh, uh, in the, at the top of page 219, it provides that CLS, although not currently registered, is eligible to apply for permission rooms, but there is no stipulation that that will ever be granted, and the record shows that every time CLS has requested uh, permission to meet, they've gotten a complete runaround. They've been told, well, you have to apply through through your lawyer, and then they don't get an answer on time, and when they get an answer, it's, well, because you're not a registered student let, group, let, there's not room we, for you. Let, let's assume, because I'm not quite sure what the record is on these issues, I'm somewhat confused on the factual assumptions underlying this case, but let's assume two things. One, that in fact you have the option of applying for use of the space and that assuming there are no uh, conflicts and other things that, that are in the normal course would preclude your use, that you would be granted use. Is your argument different in that situation? Justice Sotomayor, even the access to campus communications is absolutely essential. As this Court said in the in Healy versus James, we are barred from uh, access to the to Hastings' email system. We can't post notices on the usual bulletin board. We are left out. There are weekly. bulletin boards. There are other ones. There, there's, there are ones for the, for, the, for campus and student groups, and there's another one for community groups. We are allowed to post on the community group. 
but we're not allowed to post on the boards that, that students look to for where student activities occur. We are left out of the, the very important point, the, the, the student organization fair at the beginning of the year, where groups introduce themselves uh, to the one ls as they, as they come in. We're, we're barred that is, from that. Are you disputing this is a limited forum? public forum? No, that's definitely a limited designated public forum. But that's different from Cantwell. Uh, Cantwell is where the Jehovah's Witness placed the, the record on, on, the, on the street. I, I only cite and, Cantwell and, for the and, proposition and, 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 that and belief it, is absolute. No, no and, and Cantwell was, uh, said that uh, belief is central to, to, to religions and that people would disagree. Uh, but that's precisely why Hastings might argue to us uh, that, that this is inconsistent with their idea of what this forum is. And if we, you just address that, please. Uh, I would address that the forum, that the purposes of the forum are undisputed. They are to provide a diversity of expression among student groups. Their policy disserves the purpose of the forum and therefore cannot be regarded as reasonable in light of that. And what is more, what they have done is it's also not reasonable because it's independently unconstitutional. What they have done is they've said you may not have fundamental freedom of association or if you do, we will withdraw an otherwise available benefit from you. As recently as the unanimous decision of this Court in Fair v. Rumsfeld, the Court reiterated the the now, I think, a hundred-year-old principle that constitutional rights may not be penalized by the withdrawal of benefits any more than they can by, uh, uh, by direct prohibition. I see that my white light is up, and I'd like to reserve the remainder of my time for rebuttal. Thank you, Mr. McConnell. Mr. Garr. Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice, and may it please the Court. This case was decided by both courts below on the premise which is not disputed at any point in the petition for certiorari, that Hastings reserves the funding and benefits that go to student groups that obtain school recognition to groups that choose to admit all students, regardless well, then why of their do status you have, or their why do you have a policy, a written policy? You don't have a written policy that says anything about all comers. You've got a written policy that says you, can, uh, you can't discriminate on the basis of only one type of belief, religious belief. Mr. Chief Justice, uh, first of all, this is a case about injunctive relief. A as a matter of law, the only policy that's relevant is the current policy, and that's the one that well, both why sides agree is, is, is this non-discrimination policy no longer on the books? No. It's, it's the way in which Hastings implements the non-discrimination policy in this particular forum. And again, look at the Ninth Circuit decision. In this that case. is not an implementation of the non-discrimination policy. I mean, the, the two policies are quite different. Now, are you telling us that the written policy is no longer operative? No. It, it, Justice Scalia. No it, what? No, it's not operative? Or no, you're not telling me that? It, it is operative. This, the all-comers policy is how it's implemented in this context. And the written policy applies not only to the enumerated characteristics, it applies to any arbitrary, unreasonable discrimination. And the law school well, — doesn't, It doesn't say that. It does, Your Honor. It says in the first paragraph on — this is on page 220 right. of the Joint Appendix — the college is committed to a policy against legally impermissible, arbitrary, or unreasonable discriminatory practices. And then it also goes on and enumerates specific factors. And this is spelled out, I believe, in page — So they, so you're saying the second paragraph is totally unnecessary. You say the first paragraph is you can't discriminate on any basis, and the second paragraph spells out the bases. So why do you have the second paragraph? I think it provides additional guidance. But, but again, it, it, there shouldn't be any debate about what policy is at issue here. The Ninth Circuit's decision in this case is two sentences long. The first sentence describes the policy at issue in this case. And it says, the party you think this case deserved a two-sentence decision in the Ninth Circuit? Uh, Justice Alito, it was decided in the wake of the Ninth Circuit's decision in the truth, which had not only garnered a substantial panel decision, but had garnered serious consideration on, on rehearing. So this case, the Ninth Circuit properly concluded, was controlled by the truth decision. So in that respect — So the answer is yes. This, this case, which is before us, has produced hundreds and hundreds of pages of amicus briefs, deserved two sentences in the Court of Appeals. In the, in the sense that it is backed up by the truth decision, yes. But look at the petition for certiorari in this case. Nowhere did, did petitioners challenge the Ninth Circuit's characterization of the policy at issue. The petition says on page 2 that there are no disputed issues of material fact. But look hasn't, it been the, hasn't it been CLS's position from the very beginning of this case 
that Hastings has not, in fact, uh, required every group to admit stu- any student who applies. Don't they say that over and over again in their district court papers, in the Court of Appeals briefs, and in the cert petition? If they believe that that caused the school to adopt a different policy, they shouldn't have stipulated to the policy that they did. And they should have challenged well, the they minimum. stipulated that the policy exists. They didn't stipulate that it is, is being faithfully applied by Hastings. What do you do about the, 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 the two organization bylaws set, uh, uh, referred to in the, uh, in the petitioner's brief, which clearly do, uh, uh, conflict with the so-called all-comers policy? All of the bylaws that they've pointed to, Justice Scalia. All, all of the bylaws? That they have pointed to in yeah. the brief, Justice Scalia, either, number one, explicitly say that the organization will comply with the rules and regulation of the school or say that they will admit all students. That includes all the bylaws. Now, they've pointed to various things from the bylaws, and this evolves as they've tried to create material factual issues in this court. One of the things they've pointed to is that bylaws saying, like, the outlaw bylaw that says that students who are members of a group can be excelled if they en- expelled if they engage in disruptive or gross misconduct. There's nothing inconsistent about that with the school's policy. The school's interest is not in allowing students to disrupt the activities of students' groups. Well, they, they quite quote the bylaws of the National Lawyers Guild, which says any member must agree with the objectives of the organization as set forth herein. That's not all comers. That's a bylaw that restricts an organization according to its Members can't join unless they sign on the dotted line that they believe in the objectives of the organization. There's a fundamental difference between a group that says people of a particular sexual orientation are not allowed to become members. Well, they, they don't say that. They, they don't say that. It's got nothing to do with sexual — well, I don't know the National Lawyers Guild, but they say you've got to agree with the objectives of the organization. J- Justice Scalia, the district court made a uh, — may I? No, start with mine. Okay. <laughs> My apologies. <laughs> Mr. Chief Justice, as, as Dean, as uh, uh, Director of Student Services testified, the fact that the bylaws may say we want students who are interested in our activities doesn't mean that the bylaws are excluding students who want to join. And there's a fundamental difference, again, be- between saying students that have these particular beliefs or status cannot become members. It, it seems to me that your position is continually evolving wherever the First Amendment pressure comes. You've got a written non-discrimination policy. And then you say, well, yeah, but we use an all-comers policy. You've got an all-comers policy, and then groups don't actually follow the all-comers policy. And you have another answer to that. I, it, it seems to me that we should go with — why shouldn't we go with the written policy and the written bylaws? With respect, Your Honor, I think it's my friend's position that is evolving. You have joint stipulations before you as to what the policy is. You have the decisions of both courts below describing that policy consistently with the joint stipulations. And you have a petition for certiorari that never challenges that the all-comers policy is at issue. What do we do with the selective application argument, which is what Justice Alito referred to and Justice Scalia which is, it is troubling that some of these bylaws do limit their groups. La Raza limited it to um, people of Hispanic descent and the Lawyers Guild to people who adopt its, its beliefs. What are we going to do with this selective application argument? This is it in the case, isn't it? And if it is, what does it do to your policy? But Justice Sotomayor, this case wasn't litigated as a pretext case. If you look at the briefs in this case, the first time that the word pretext is used is in the reply brief in this court. It was litigated as a challenge, which is a serious challenge, to the constitutionality of an all-comers policy. The, the, in this the, two, the two are law. connected, though, Mr. Gar. Uh, frankly, one, one reason why I am inclined to think this is pretextual is that it is so weird to require the, 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 the campus Republican club to admit Democrats, not just to membership, but to officership, to require this Christian society to allow atheists not just to join, but to conduct Bible classes, right? Man, that's crazy. And is, is there any other uh, university in the country that has this kind of a policy? There absolutely is, Justice Scalia. And Where is explained- that? It's explained in the amicus brief for the American Council of Education. It's explained in the state universities. And oh, oh, there, there are very few universities. But uh, why doesn't this just all work out? Uh, I, if the Christian uh, legal society has these beliefs, 
I'm, I'm not so sure why people that don't uh, agree with them want to belong to them. What, what doesn't this all just work out? In Justice Kennedy, it doesn't work out if, if the uh, Democrats uh, they don't want to go in the Republican Club and run for office the ship anyway. Hastings. So, so why? What, what's what interest does this does the school have in, in this policing mechanism that it's imposing? If you a number of things, Justice Kennedy. The first is the line drawing issue that's been made clear during the first part of the argument this morning. If you're going, they appear to take off the table race and what they say other status considerations. I'm not sure why that excludes sexual orientation. But if you're going to allow religious groups or any group to draw exceptions for some people, then you have to determine where to draw the line. And I think a school can reasonably say, we don't want to get into this business at all. We want to allow all comers but for you all now say, You now say in your brief that it is okay for a group to impose membership requirements that are neutral and not based on beliefs. Isn't that right? It doesn't go to status or belief. If you're talking about attendance requirements or competitions, no, you're talking about La Raza background. As I understand it, the La Raza organization says you have to be of La Raza background to be a policy member of the organization. The the La Raza bylaws, first of all, they did explicitly say that groups could not exclude members on the basis of sexual orientation. Now, they, they, there was some confusion about how La Raza had interpreted their bylaws. The school went back to La Raza and said, are you excluding members? The La Raza said, no, we're not. We're open to all. And to, to eliminate any doubt, they amended their bylaws. That's the one example they've come up in the 20-year history of this policy. And what does it show? If you want to look wait, at Wait, wait, 20 years? Do you have any evidence that this policy, the one we're arguing about now, that is to say the, the all-comers policy, existed before CLS uh, brought this litigation? As, as I recall, the only evidence in the record is a letter from the dean describing this policy after the litigation began. It, Justice Scalia, it's based on the sworn deposition testimony of the former dean who had been at the school since 1993, the director of student services who had been there at least since 1999, as this is how they have implemented the non-discrimination policy. I don't think there's any basis for this Court to overturn that. What we have is a rule, a stipulation, and as I read it, to try to make sense out of it, it does seem to discriminate against organizations in respect to which intellectual purity would be important. They're going to have a harder time. The ones that don't care that much will have an easier time. Now, in trying to judge the constitutionality of that, I first have no idea which these organizations are. We've got one of them, but there may be a lot of others. I I don't know if the Democratic Club is or is not. I don't know how big the tent they want. I don't know uh, whether the Turkish society even exists. I don't know how the chess club feels about players of tiddlywings. So I I have an absolute void in this record, which in turn I think would be important to fill that void, because their justification well, is they don't want to get into this, it's too complicated, and we're not doing that much harm to them because they can meet off campus, and it's a big disruptive influence, all of these things. And then sneaking in here is this anti-gay bias uh, issue, and, and they want to say that isn't much because that isn't really the point here. And that's what we think anyway. It's just an example of something. So with that great unclarity, asked to decide a constitutional issue where I feel I need more facts and I don't have them, well, more if, justification to know what it really is, which I don't have, if what the, should I do? If the Court believes that, respectfully, we think it should dismiss the writ as improvidently granted. This case was litigated based on stipulations to avoid precisely these factual issues that we're now talking about for the first time before this Court. Now, I, I think it is common but ground. But you, you do, Mr. Carr, you did, you did say that the evidence is the dean's deposition. There's no prior evidence. But there are schools, including law schools, that have this policy. Is that not so? That's true. Georgetown Law School does. Columbia Law School. Look, there's an amicus brief filed by 13 educational organizations representing thousands of colleges and universities across the country, including the Association of Jesuit Colleges and Universities, saying that this is a not uncommon and reasonable policy. We're not saying it's the only approach that colleges can take in balancing the competing interests here. We're saying let's explore the implications of this policy. Suppose at a particular campus there is a great deal of anti-Muslim animus, and there's a small Muslim group. It has 
10 students. Uh, if the group is required to accept anybody who applies for membership and 50 students who hate Muslims show up and they want to take over that group, you say the First Amendment allows that. Justice Scalia, that, that's the claim, obviously, that the other side is making. And, and with respect, this example has never happened at Hastings in 20 years. It's really never happened in the history of American education. If you look at cases like the voter ID case, the partial birth abortion So case, if you have a law that says every newspaper that's published in the United States must be reviewed every day by the government censor board, and the fact that the government censor board decides not to do it, then that law is okay? I think this Court would ordinarily take into account the likelihood that something would happen. And if you're dealing with where the only — A newspaper sues saying that law is unconstitutional and will say, oh, it's all right, it's never been applied. Well, of course this Court is going to examine the chill. But so just like in the voter ID case where you had people saying this was going to, and on secondhand accounts, did exclude people from getting to the — ballot access. This Court said, look, that might happen, but it's not a basis to validate this law across the board. Come back that, with an That was challenge. because they might adopt a different policy. We're not dealing with the future different policy in this case. And, and there's — as to the takeover hypothetical, there is no evidence that it has happened. Groups can take measures to prevent it. They can require attendance requirements before people become members. They can instruct and no, that's not going to help if you have the 50 anti-Muslim students who want to take over the group. That people have to be uh, — attend a certain number of meetings before they can join. Okay. They, they take over the group, and the first thing they do is say, we're abolishing the attendance policy. They, they can have in their bot <laughs> They can — sure. I mean, we can, we can entertain the hypotheticals, but they can have in their bylaws a provision just like the Constitution of the United States that amendments can only — Well, be CLS obviously thinks this is a real threat. Now, what do you propose that they do? Suppose that you win this case, and then when the case uh, — and then as the, when this all-applicants policy is administered, then precisely what they fear begins to take place. Do they have any recourse? I think if, if that started to take place, the college would reconsider its policy. It could bring a First Amendment challenge. Well, do, they have any, uh, do they have any recourse? I think at that point — They have ten members and, uh, and eight who are completely hostile to the organization sign up. I think, obviously, the members would rejoin and form another group, Your Honor. I mean, we're not dealing with this in a factual vacuum. CLS's predecessor existed at the schools for 10 years. And I understand the answer to that question. So if, if hostile members take over CLS, the former members of CLS can form CLS2? If that happened, Your Honor, I mean, this has never happened ever in, so in the history of the, the universities across the board rules for all student conduct against disruption, against incivility, those would certainly carry over. Absolutely. And, and CLS, like any group, can have a rule that disruptive members should be expelled. I'm sorry. I don't understand. It's also never happened, from what I can tell, that someone uh, who disagrees with this group has applied for membership. Well, Your Honor, the record that, that, does show that's that, that — That's what's so puzzling about the, the case. The, the record does show, Your Honor, that there was a gay student who was a member of the group, and that's uh, — let me give you that, — That was the predecessor group. Yeah, no. predecessor that was the, the group, the and obviously uncomfortable with their position, so he or she left. Well, actually, what the record shows is that she participated in discussions that the officer of the group said it was a joy to have her and that both sides learned. I think CLS's position depends on the dark notion that students would not have any interest in joining a group with different viewpoints on certain issues except to disrupt that group. And I think that greatly undersells the intellectual curiosity of students. It greatly undersells the fact that groups have many different interests and perspectives. The Church has a stance on homosexuality, but it has stances on many other issues, too. And if a student, even if he or she disagrees with the stance on homosexuality, they may agree with many other aspects of the group, and they may want to, to join in the fellowship of that group. They may want to take advantage of intangible benefits like — Teach Bible classes. Your Honor — you, you have to let them teach Bible classes, too, In right? fact, the record in this show, case shows that only officers teach Bible classes, and groups are perfectly free to structure their organization like that. They can have requirements that people attend to certain meetings before they do that. The CLS isn't forced to have anyone lead Bible classes. If an, CLS Orthodox, if an Orthodox Jewish group or a Muslim group applied for recognition and the group said, part of our beliefs is, one of our beliefs is that men and women should sit separately at religious services, would Hastings deny registration to that group? 
If it was excluding students from that group on the basis of their beliefs or their status, then yes, it would. Hastings isn't in the business of second-guessing the, the, the beliefs of, of individual groups. I mean, that's the whole point of the policy, really, is to stay out of this, to just have a blanket well, rule. We have, a, we have two amicus briefs from Orthodox Jewish groups and a brief from a Muslim group. So your answer is that they could not be recognized under Hastings' policy because of their religious beliefs regarding the way religious services should I, be Your Honor, I think even my friend recognizes that a group could not exclude an individual on the basis of their gender or, the, or their beliefs, uh, on the basis of their gender or race. And remember that the Bob Jones case. Well, but that's course. because gender or race is fundamentally different from religious belief. Gender and race is a status. Religious belief, it has to be based on the fundamental notion that we are not open to everybody. We have beliefs. You have to subscribe to them. And we've always regarded that as a good thing. That type of exclusion is supported in the Constitution. The other types of exclusion are not. But not at all costs, Mr. Chief Justice. In the Bob Jones case, the claim was from a, a small, private, religious school that has a sincere religious belief that people who believed in interracial dating should not become members of the school. And this Court nevertheless held that that belief, sincere as it was, did not trump a statute that denied education, denied federal financial assistance on a viewpoint-neutral basis to schools that discriminated on the basis of religion. Here we have a, a group that wants to exclude members on the basis of sexual orientation. We can — CLS has tried to change — Phrase it that way. It's a group that wants to exclude — a religious group, religious-oriented group that wants to exclude people who not, do not subscribe to their religious beliefs. They — there is a binding judicial admission. And again, I, this gets back to the Bob Jones example. Where, I think — Yeah, let's get back to this uh, homosexual orientation. You say that that's uh, established in the case. Look at page JA, page 460, which is where the district court said that CLS made a binding judicial admission that they wanted to discriminate on the basis of sexual orientation. And keep in mind that this case began because CLS came back to the law school and said, we're happy to say we won't discriminate on some grounds, but we're not going to say we won't exclude students on the basis of sexual orientation. What's supposed to happen? I don't know the answer to this. Hastings, let's say, or Berkeley has four or five or six different religious chapels for services on Sunday or Saturday. And they say we're open to all branches of religion, Orthodox Jews, conservative, and reform. And the Orthodox say we want women and women to sit separately. Now, can Hastings say, or Berkeley, no, we'll, we'll let the reform come, we'll let the, the uh, uh, Conservatives come, but not the, not the Orthodox Jews. They can't have their service. Would, would that be constitutional? I, Your Honor, I think it would be a much different case. Yeah, but what is it, in your opinion? I, I think if, if the school is regulating um, outside of the, the purposes of a limited forum, pub, public forum for recognized groups, then I doubt it could go in and tell So if, in fact, the, 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 uh, they have clubs and they're not services, and what they do is they discuss they discuss the, the, the nature of the service. And there, can they uh, have separate discussions? Where, and where for men, and, men and women? Where the rule operates on a viewpoint-neutral basis. Here, what this, this, the school is doing is it is publicly subsidizing. No, but I guess your answer to that is the Orthodox Jews cannot. They cannot have separate women's groups in their organization, which is an after-religious school organization. They, they can exist separately at the school. Yeah, outside like the university, like etc. Eating. In fact, Your Honor, it's not, no, it's that's not their problem. unusual for schools to have all-male or all-women clubs. They are not recognized parts of the community. Th- these are activities that are subsidized by the students themselves through the mandatory student activities. And their, their reason to put in a sentence as to why they don't want these Orthodox Jews to meet separately on the campus, men in one group, women in another, uh, and discuss the religious service. They want none like that, and their reason for wanting none like that is? 
Well, I, I think that's a much different example than this case. Well, well I'm, I'm not trying to make it as close as possible. Well, I, 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 I may have misunderstood the hypothetical. I mean, I think it's They, they have what's different. called the Orthodox Club. The, the reason why the school has a policy that all groups that it subsidized must admit all comers is that, number one, it ensures that all students enjoy equal access to all school subsidized and school recognized activities. Number two, it avoids the line drawing problems that we've discussed early this morning, I think, are, are necessarily going to rise and also create strife in small educational communities. Number three, it, it Can allows I ask about number two, the line, so-called line drawing problem? Aren't you just letting yourself into even more line drawing problems? Not I mean, the, the other one, it, it's just whether you were discriminating on the basis of one of the forbidden bases. But now, you're saying you can't discriminate on any basis, which means there are going to be even more lines to have to draw. Why does it solve your problem? I don't think it that happens at all, Justice Scalia. I think where you've got the policy that all students have to become members, regardless of their status or belief, that gets the school out of the business of dis determining whether, number one, people are discriminating on the basis of an essential belief, which is the way the petitioner describes his rule. As I understood the position, your latest position in your brief, you really don't say you have an all-comers policy. There are certain criteria that can be applied, like interest, knowledge. Is that correct? Competitive-based, merit-based requirements are not excluded. It, it, they're not — Could it — well, could a group uh, consistent with your revised all-comers policy require that members who want — that anyone who apply, wants to become a member show a particular level of knowledge about the subject of the group? Yes. So I if think the CLS required anybody who wanted to become a member to pass a test on the Bible, that would be okay? If it were truly an objective knowledge test, that would be okay. It would be no different than the lower view. These are merits-based determinations. There's a fundamental difference between excluding people on the basis of merit and excluding people on the basis of status or belief that has no connection to merit. And that, 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 I think, is a longstanding understanding of discrimination. Well, that, that, that's pretty tough. That has no connection to merit. I assume there are groups that think subscribing to their beliefs is evidence of merit, particularly religious groups. So how can you have a, a, a test that allows dis distinctions based on merit but not, not beliefs? I think it goes to the, the nature of whether it's discrimination under the school's policy. And I think status or belief, people understand. That's why we're talking about things like race or gender or sexual orientation, disability, military status, any number of these things. And I think the school's policy avoids having to draw lines as to whether or not a group has a sufficient enough belief that military members shouldn't become a, a member of the Amnesty International Club because they disagree with the war, that disabled members shouldn't be, disabled students should be a member of a particular group. And the, and the school's policy avoids these line drawing issues. If the school it's adopts an all-comers policy for the purpose. May I ask one question? I'd, I'd like you to answer, and I'd like your opponent to. Do you think that in order to decide this case, we have to pass on the constitutionality of an all-comers policy. Yes, that's the policy before this Court. That we must to do that to decide the case. And I want to ask your opponent the same question. I, I believe you have to do that, because that is the policy so there before all, this There may Court. be a lot of other things we can decide, but in all events, we must decide that much. Absolutely. Absolutely. If I could just discuss briefly. Well, could I just ask one quick question relating to that? If, if an all-comers policy is adopted for the purpose of discriminating on the basis of viewpoint, does it violate the First Amendment? If it's pretextual in the, the Church of Lukumi Babylon sense, yes. No, no school can purposely discriminate at a, at a group no matter what policy it adopts. And what if we think that uh, the policy has not been even-handedly applied? Can't we decide the case on that basis? And then we could just assume arguendo, Justice, the answer to Justice Stevens' question. I don't think so, Justice, Justice Kennedy, because Is it, was there any proof in this record? I mean, is there stipulation for summary judgment? Was there any proof showing that it wasn't evenly applied? No. And I get back to the petition for certiorari. On page two of the petition, the petition. Let me, let me just say, suppose it were shown that uh, it would not apply to evenly handily. You'd have no problem with our saying that it's then unconstitutional. It, it, Yes, we, we don't think that that's the case here. But, but if a policy is applied even-handedly, uneven-handedly, in a viewpoint-neutral way, and it burdens religious groups, then there's common ground that that policy violates the Constitution. Of course, this we were an employment case, and when an employee is denied promotion, the employee is said it's for reason A, 
And then after litigation begins, the employer says, well, no, it really wasn't for reason A. It was for reason B because of a policy that we've long had, but there's never — there's no written documentation of this new policy. And then at a later point in the litigation, the employer says, well, it wasn't really for either reason A or reason B. It was for reason C. Do you think that uh, you, uh, summary judgment could be granted in favor of the employer on the issue of pretext? I think that that would create a factual issue, and that that issue might well be tried, Justice Alito. I mean, one thing that is important to keep in mind is that this is a request for injunctive relief and not damages. So the only policy that matters, and Wilkinson versus Austin makes this clear, is the current policy. All parties agree that the current policy is the all-comers policy. That's the policy supported by the record. Well, I'm sorry. All parties do not agree that the policy is the all-comers policy. Your friend argued repeatedly that the policy was the written non-discrimination policy. I I understood my friend's opening brief to acknowledge at the least that that's the policy the school has said it has today. It is the school's policy. It's supported by substantial history and sworn deposition testimony. Um, Mr. Carr, the, the so-called written policy, that has a, that list has a correspondence to the state's law, doesn't it? it the categories does. that are listed there are the categories that under California law are proscribed basis for discrimination? It does. And, and that is an additional basis for the school's policy. Look at California Education Code 66270. It explicitly prohibits discrimination in, in programs and educational activities by public schools like Hastings. Hastings has an obligation under state law to prohibit, this, prohibit discrimination on the basis of sexual orientation. The reason why we're here today is because CLS insisted on the right to discriminate, to exclude students on the basis of their sexual orientation. Well, Section 66270 applies to programs conducted by a post-secondary educational institution. And, and your position is that if, if uh, a, a religious group uh, complies with your policies and then it conducts religious services, those religious services are conducted by Hastings? Our position is that the Registered Student Organization Program is a program of the university, it's subsidized by the university, it's recognized by the universities, and that all students should be able to enjoy access to that program. In your response to Justice Ginsburg concerning California law, is it your position that California law requires religious groups to admit people who do not believe in their religious beliefs and, in fact, to conduct services of that group? Your Honor, our position is that the provision that we've cited to 66270 does not carve out an exemption in this program for religious student organization. So the answer to my question is yes? Yes. On its face, it excludes — it has an exemption for religious schools. It does not include an exemption for religious organizations within the context of this program. And we think that the program is reasonable for the reasons we — Thank you, Mr. Garr. Thank you very much. Mr. McConnell, you have four minutes remaining. Uh, Thank you, Mr. Chief Justice. First, in answer to Justice Stevens' question, we do believe that the Court uh, needs to reach the constitutionality of the all-comers policy as applied to CLS in this case. We brought only an as-applied challenge. Put to to a side a moment. (laughs) Forget the as-applied. Just take a a pure all-comers policy. Must we decide the constitutionality of that? Uh, Not facially, but as applied to CLS, yes. Several other points. You I know. talk about. I understood from your brief that CLS did not have uh, a policy of uh, excluding uh, uh, people with homosexual disposition, but that it was only homosexual conduct. If that's correct, as stipulated, well, to you undisputed. But your complaint said otherwise. You're. you're that's, that's because we the, — the complaint is accepting the def, Hastings definition of sexual orientation. We were told that we, our conduct rule, our non-marital conduct rule, violated their sexual orientation provision, and therefore we sought relief from their sexual orientation uh, provision. It was nothing more than that. There, it is, it is uh, stipulated uh, uh, in uh, Joint Stipulation 40, I believe it is, uh, that, uh, that uh, CLS's rule is based on conduct, uh, okay. not orientation. Several other points. My, my friend twice in his presentation stated that the all-comers policy is simply their way of implementing the non-discrimination policy. But if so, it is so absurdly overbroad as to be unconstitutional. There is no reason to stop the environmentalist club from leading, from, from 
uh, requiring its leaders to share environmentalist Mr. views Mr. in order to Mr. Uh, McConnell, you don't challenge that there are universities, including four law schools, that have an all-comers policy? Uh, so far as we've been able to tell, there is no public university law school in the country that has such a policy. There are private universities. There are some private universities that, uh, according to the AALS, uh, have such a policy. We know nothing about them. They are not in the record. And, frankly, I'd be a little bit surprised, because the policy is so absurd. Think of how it would apply to the law school itself. And this policy does apply to the law school itself. Does Hastings really mean to say it is committing itself to an all-comers policy when it hires faculty or admits students? Do they not care about the belief of its dean of admissions, about beliefs about, say, affirmative action? The the very idea of it is preposterous. It's not totally if, but it's imaginary. It's fantastical. The the you could imagine a school in the 60s that said that we think the way to advance learning is everyone gets together in a nice discussion group and hugs each other and talks. All right. Now that's a possible. Educational theory. It's possible. They say, well, we, we are going to apply that to everybody, because that's how we do it. And yes, uh, if Hastings there are ideological organizations that but suffer, Hastings so has be a, it, but it's fantastical. Hastings Therefore, has a perfectly yeah. conventional RSO program, just like the ones in Healy and Widmar and Rosenberger. They just have a policy that is destructive of that Well, uh, my, of my that question program. is, if I can think of this policy, but I tend to sympathize with your view that it's so hard to believe they really hold it, uh, maybe they do. I don't know about it. What do I do with this case? H- how can I say whether this, let's call it, hug your neighbor policy is a, uh, to put a label on it that's catchy? What can, H- what, how, do I, how do I evaluate what that? What you can say is that Healy versus James requires a substantial justification for exclusion of a student group from a registered student activity forum, and this is not a substantial justification. It is a silly justification. If it is silly, crazy, and preposterous, it is not even reasonable, let alone compelling or substantial. Thank you, Mr. McConnell. The case is submitted.